and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Turner Oak, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going, Axel? I'm sad and angry all the time, but that's not fun to talk about, so let's talk about something more fun. <laughs> yeah, so this was an idea you brought up, and I think it's kind of interesting to discuss, because I think everyone has, you know, that those couple actors that you're flipping through, if you see them, you'll kind of pause and stop and like, oh, this person's in it. Okay, well, I'll see what they've got. Uh, is that the case for you, or am I crazy? No, no, you're totally... There are, there are some cases where I will watch a movie or a show based on the interest in one actor. Like, I'm not saying that one actor is, like, needed to be amazing, but there are certainly shows that are carried entirely by a single actor, and sometimes if that actor is, like good enough or charismatic enough, then they're almost required to get me to at least give something a shot. Yeah, and that's kind of where it's like, oh, well, you know, I like you, and you're typically interesting. Let's see what you got. I won't always finish it, but I really do think that there are certain actors you're like, you know what? I want to see how you are in this. Well, I mean, as a a quick example, right, as a side note, right, my favorite episode of Doctor Who ever is called Heaven Sent, it's a Peter Capaldi Who episode, and basically through 95% of the episode, he is the only character on screen, period. And he carries the entire thing himself, and it's like my favorite episode of that entire show. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think that, you know, um, there are some actors, and I'll talk about them later on the episode, that the movie can be bad, but their performance was good, and that's why you tuned in. Which is... Uh, happens to check your Earl Haley way more than it should. <laughs> yeah, that man is a national treasure that has not had nearly amount of the amount of good movies he should. True. I mean, like, no offense, he wasn't bad as Freddy. That was just a bad movie. He was actually really good as Freddy. It was just a terrible Which, movie. Amazing, yeah. And I guess they're remaking that again because let no franchise lie. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about things that should be left alone. We're here to talk about actors. So, uh, Axel, who's your first choice for? Oh, you're in this. I'm gonna watch. Well, th- this is you know it's funny. Um, so my first pick is Joseph Gordon-Levitt to talk about. Uh, oddly enough, because I feel really, I don't know how to say this without sounding weird, but I relate to him. Like he's way more successful than me. He's you know you know talented actor and you know basically at this point he's like a star star. But uh, it 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 helps that you know growing up I watched a lot of Third Rock from the Sun, which is where he, I mean he had done some acting before that I believe that's where his career really started becoming something. And, it's you know, where he's was, most recognized from. Yeah, well at the time at least. Um, and, you know, that was just a, a sitcom, but it was a sitcom where he played the role of the kid in the family who was actually the oldest. And, you know, growing up, my mom always joked that I was born 80 years old because uh, I had to basically be the parent in that particular dynamic. So not only did I, I just love the show in general, I love everyone in the show, but I like very much related to him. So when he, for lack of a better term, graduated from sitcom school, I was very interested to see where he was going to go. And he started getting into, you know, uh, I think the first big movie that I remember seeing him in was Inception. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's kind of the funny thing about him is I know him from Third Rock, but I just kind of forgot who he was as an adult until relatively recently when he took off. But now I look back like, oh, yeah, he was in that. Oh, he was in that, too. Man, he has a lot of good stuff. Yeah, well, he kept, it's funny, because he didn't star in a whole lot of things necessarily, but he kept, like, pumping, you know, being involved in really good movies. I think one of his first uh, big movies that he starred in was uh, 500 Days of Summer, which is an amazing, like, critique of how relationships are done in uh, a modern setting. It's, it's Never funny. Seen. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It is really worth watching. I don't know if you'd like it at all, but it's really worth watching. One of my favorite things about it is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in Five Days of Summer is supposed to be a bad person, and <laughs> J- and JGL has talked about how like people who like the movie will come up and tell him like how like especially like girls how much they like that character and like they would date him. He and he would say to them apparently. Uh, you should go back and watch that closer. He he's not a good guy. 
there's a handful of actors I know have similar stories. Like, you're not supposed to like me, but uh, he's just no. so naturally charismatic, though, in the movie because JGL's really good at like coming off as JGL's performances, in my opinion, come off as the kind of guy that I and I think people in my demographic would really just want to be friends with. Not not like sit in a bar friends, not any specific kind of friend, not go on adventure friend, just general, like we hang out at each other's house and do things friend. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, like I said, I'm trying to think of more what he's in, but you kind of, you know, he's got a lot of, you know, great supporting background roles. I'm trying to think of something. For the record, my favorite movie that he starred in is not very well known. It's called Brick. Have you heard of it? No. So Brick, I think, uh, based on his age in the movie, is like he might have still actually been on Third Rock when that was made. I, I don't know the year Brick came out. I should probably just Google it while we're talking. But anyway, so Brick is a noir film set in like modern day high school, but where a lot of okay, so that description makes it sound That's like. Interesting. Well, here's, here's what's really weird about it, and I'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing, but I love it. That kind of thing done in most movies or television will do it kind of, like, straightforward. Like, I remember um, an episode of Hey Arnold where they're doing, like, a, a trial, like 12 Angry Men, but with Hey Arnold, essentially. And even though they're all taking it rather seriously, they're still talking about, like, you know, school things and their using jargon that's generally done with the students in that kind of setting. But the thing that's weird about Brick is not only is it a noir set in like a modern high school, but it's not set in anything remotely resembling a real modern high school. All this, the kids all talk like they are 1940s noir characters. Well, that's called commitment to the premise. Yeah, exactly. But I just, I wasn't prepared for how committed to the premise the movie was going to be. So I, like, I just came across it on like Netflix or something. And because the plot is that JGL's character's girlfriend is found dead like early on. Or no, maybe she's missing. It's been a while since I watched it. I remember loving it, but I haven't watched it recently. Uh, but he's on a search to find her. And he's basically, a, you know, a noir detective, you know, uh, following people, you know, questioning people like the different cliques in the school but all done and the whole movie has this weird like blue and black tinge like everything looks like it's done through a like a dark blue kind of cap so it makes everything feel i don't know harsh for like a weird term but in a way that i'm not used to it's it's a really crazy like experience of a movie I'm look out for that that sounds like a really interesting movie yeah i don't know if it's actually any good necessarily i think it might be a little, <laughs> it might be a little too a little too goofy when it comes to what it's doing, but it was really unique to me, and I I enjoyed the hell out of it. And JGL's performance as this kid who looks like you know a sixteen year old kid, but is walking around talking and acting like a hard boiled New York detective or something. It's Chicago probably would a better example. Anyway, but. It's just great. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, it's an interesting concept. Now, I think the first time I really recognized him as him was when he played not Robin in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. You know what's funny about that is, like, so his character in that, that, that whole Robin reveal is dumb because, first of all, they didn't need to call him Robin for me to already make the connection to Tim Drake because he, you know, sleuthed it himself and said that he sleuthed you know, Batman's identity. And he said that he sleuthed it a long time ago. So already, like anyone who knows the comics knows that the the kid in the comics who figured out who Batman was through sheer detective work is Tim Drake. So Yeah, I always kind of interpreted it and I heard it when this is what I heard, I don't know if it's true, but it was Christopher Nolan's way of essentially going, here's your Robin, now leave me alone. They should have just na- made him name Tim Drake. Or even... What did he add to the story? I mean... That's not a good movie. I... Well, okay. In all fairness, in, since we're talking about this, I hate The Dark Knight Rises. I love The Dark yeah. Knight. I am fine with Batman Begins. Eh, I haven't seen it, never. It's fine. I'm but fine Dark with Knight's it. good. Dark Knight is solid. Yeah, Batman bias aside. I, exactly. But I hate The Dark Knight Rises. I, oh, it's, it's bad. I was falling asleep in that movie. Yep. So It feels like it goes on forever. 
like I'm a Tom Hardy apologist in general. I'll, Tom Hardy should be on this list too because I will watch almost anything with Tom Hardy in it. He's the only reason I'm excited for Venom right now at all because Ugh. Sony, you know. But I love no, Tom no, Hardy. No, 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 no. Anyway, point is though that I don't like Tom Hardy as Bane. I never did. No. Uh, I don't like uh, Christian Bale as Batman. I never nope. did. And nope. like the fact that Dark Knight Rises goes through its plot then goes through the plot again for the second half of the movie that's basically the exact same plot as the first half uh-huh. is just... And sticks anyway. a random Robin cameo in there that, you know, oh, it's not Robin. Then why is he in there? What purpose does he serve? Yeah, I mean, he okay, I, I will admit that of all the things in that movie, I actually kind of like JGL in it. Again, we talked about that. It's a bad movie, but I like JGL in it. He's just this charismatic, like, nice guy cop that I can get behind. So making him... Yeah named Robin is just dumb. They should have just named him after one of the Robins, which would have been a better, like, but they should have done that anyway. Just leave him as this cool, original, you know, cop character. I was fine with that. Yeah, and no, you just cut the nail on the head, I think, with the whole point of, you know, this discussion is just actors that we will stop and pause and watch something if we see them in it just because we like the actors. The movie may not necessarily be good, but they're good in it. And he was a good character. He was, you know, he did a good job. He was likable. I wouldn't mind actually seeing him as Robin if they ever get around to doing that, if they ever get a successful Batman movie off the ground again. They won't, but he could make a really good Nightwing, you know, which will be... Oh, a Nightwing would be interesting. It would be a lot better than what we're probably going to get with this Teen Titans show, but... Yeah, Yeah, well... I yeah, less said about that the better probably. Point is though there are that people uh, out there that think that looks awesome. <laughs> Point is, uh, so JGL's actually in a lot of different stuff. There's several of his movies I really want to see that I haven't yet. Like I know there's that one movie where he he is playing the guy who walked the tightrope between the twin towers. Like, yeah, I remember that and going meh. Well, see. I, that's another thing where, like, the only reason I want to see it is because it looks like it's basically a character-focused drama piece with JGL uh, doing the, the character work. So it's like, this looks like an exhibition of his skill, and that's what I want to see. The actual story, don't really care that much about, and I don't like heights, so visually, I'm sure that's going to make me sick, but I'll watch it anyway. Yeah, and I feel like we can't have a conversation about Joseph Gordon-Levitt without talking about Looper that sci-fi movie your friend won't shut up about? See, I really like Looper. Uh, I don't remember anything about it. Okay, first of all, I think that the CG used to make his eyes look kind of Bruce Willis-ish is a little jarring, but I got used to it pretty quick. Uh, I was actually really amazed that, and and you know that with that kind of movie, and you've got those two kind of actors, you've got JGL, this pretty young actor who's trying to establish his career as a very like versatile actor, and Bruce Willis, who's a, um, let's go with... Steeple, staple, steeple's a step on a church. Staple, uh, <laughs> like he's he's classic. He's an established figure. So of course they were gonna have the new young actor try to act like the you know well known established actor. And there are certain like mannerisms to how Bruce Willis talks that JGL gets down like perfectly, and it's almost creepy. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know it's a good movie. I know I saw it, but for whatever reason, I don't remember anything about it. And uh, I don't know why. Well, I remember a lot about it, but so anyone who doesn't know, um, Looper is this movie where JGL plays... Essentially, there's time travel technology, but be, there's it's highly, highly illegal, but it's still used by like criminals to dispose of bodies because you send a body to the past, then it can't be found. I feel like there are probably cheaper ways to dispose a body, but it's a sci-fi movie. This is the concept we're building a story on. I can suspend my disbelief. Uh, anyway, so people called loopers are the assassins who like get a message, go to this location, we're going to send back a person, you kill them, dispose of the body. And they're called loopers because at the end of their career they'll get sent themselves. And once they kill themselves from the future, they've completed the loop and they usually get a they, they get a giant payoff. And so JGL is, you know, set to like essentially kill his future self played by Bruce Willis. That doesn't go well, and if he doesn't track down his future self Bruce Willis and kill him uh before they track him down or Bruce Willis down, they'll basically like or no they'll no, they'll track JGL down, and there's this weird conceit in the movie that I know a lot of people who know physics 
understand that time travel doesn't work this way. But as long as the movie's self-consistent and not bothered, point is, if they take young character and cut off his finger, then it'll essentially propagate through his life, and the old character will suddenly lose his fingers out of nowhere. Now, it's a little hard to wrap your head around that, I think, but once you do, movie's fine. I bet I'm not bothered by the obviously not how time travel would work physics, because, yeah, side time. Time travel is always difficult to put in your movie because it opens so many plot holes and relies so heavily on so many MacGuffins. And it's it's a dangerous one to play with, and people will always nitpick it. Well, you know, that's not how it works. Doesn't care. Works within the movie. That's exactly. all I'm asking. Exactly. Time travel is self-consistent in Looper. Yeah, it doesn't at all correspond to how we probably imagine time travel would actually work, but it follows its own set of rules, and it doesn't break them within the movie and that I'm I'm fine with that then. So as long as it, it sticks to that and it does. But more importantly, for purposes of this conversation, JGL does a really good job at not only being compelling, but also seeming like a you know a believably a young Bruce Willis. Yeah. No, like I said I remember it's good. I know it's good. I just can't remember it for some reason. Oh, and uh in case anyone else uh, if you saw Deadpool 2, it's the same plot basically. <laughs> Because uh, well, older I Bruce Willis, too, so I got no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, without going into too many spoilers, the the older version of the character played by Bruce Willis comes back in time to kill a child who is going to eventually be like the number one mob boss. It's the exact same motivation that Cable has in Deadpool too. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> no, I'll be seeing that tomorrow. I haven't seen it yet because. Maybe in the house, seeing movies difficult. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Deadpool two was all right, but that's anyway. I feel like I've gone on and on about JJ. Point is, I adore him. I relate to him, even though I really have nothing to relate to him about. And one more important thing: there's this concept. So I feel like you know, celebrities are the new royalty. We've established this. This is like known fact, right? But there's different kind of celebrity, right? Like. Jerry Springer is a celebrity, but he's kind of a celebrity in the same sense of like, uh, I don't know, like a really like in old times. It might... No, I'm just going to say like, I'm trying to compare it to old times. So it'd be like the head of a really good, like mercenary band. Like, yeah, we all know him, but it's not really prestigious, you know? Um, but there's a certain kind of movie star that to me is just that phrase movie star and generally speaking they kind like their heyday was like in the 50s and stuff you know the you know the the, the era of the silver screen you might say and there aren't that many quote unquote movie stars who feel like movie stars to me the number one of what this that I'm talking about is Leonardo DiCaprio who feels like he stepped right out of like you know 50s cinema that's why when he played great gatsby i was not at all surprised yeah uh, Anyway, roles he chooses. Yeah, but you kind of get my point that there's a kind of like poise that certain kind of actors hold that makes them feel different than other actors uh, or other celebrities. And what I'm getting to is, while I've watched JGL basically scrounge his way to this from you know being a sitcom child actor, I feel like he's reached that point where he's like movie star with you know asterisk and a twinkle. That makes any sense. Asterisk and a twinkle. All right. Well, I don't know how to go on that except Twinkie. Okay. That goes why, into why don't you I give us? Well, why don't you give us an example of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Woody Harrelson. I love Woody Harrelson. Yeah. No. See, the thing is, I had no idea or context for Woody Harrelson till I saw him in Zombieland. He was the only thing I liked about Zombieland. You don't like Zombieland nearly as much as a lot of other people did. Okay, I, still love I, I, should, I should say him and Bill Murray. Bill Murray was just great. <laughs> Bill, goddamn, no, goddamn Bill Murray, you're a zombie? Oh, no, I love that movie. It makes me laugh. But yeah, this was my first real discovery of Woody Harrelson. I was like, wow, that guy was hilarious and awesome. What else has he been in? And that's when I kind of really quickly discovered going back through his filmography and seeing some of his other stuff including the critically underappreciated The Defendor, which if you haven't seen, you should, because that one is even better now than it was when it first came out. Um, I quickly realized he changes totally role to role. For the most part. There's a couple things that's really hard for him to pull back on, like particularly his method of speaking, which I love, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't change that for shit. No. 
But I think the best example I can do is you go back and you watch him in Kingpin, which okay. I don't know. I don't think it's a good movie. And then you go and you watch him in War for the Planet of the Apes. And you want to tell me that's the same character. No, that is a totally different spectrum changing. I've got a, I've got a better one for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go back and watch him originally in Cheers. Oh, yeah. How about for Cheers? Yeah, which is where he started. And then go watch him in one of my favorite movies, Natural Born Killers. God, I hate that movie. <laughs> uh, you only it's hate it because... It's so unpleasant. Yeah, but it's meant to be, and you know it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't like it, is it's unpleasant. But yeah, no, that's... It's just, it's just, it's he, one, he's this fun, goofy, kind of dumb guy. And the other one, he's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, and but just because this gives me a moment to talk about it, it's kind of, I think, an underknown movie. Um, mostly because it kind of got purged. So here's the thing. Uh, Cheers, to anyone who is a younger generation might not know, was super influential. It and MASH are probably two of the best or most influential television shows ever, which is about a bar called Cheers. Woody Harrelson played this goofy, fun character in it. So just a, a likable guy. And Natural Born Killers is a movie made by Oliver Stone that is basically a giant critique of the United States' media's obsession with violence. And it does it by looking at the uh, essentially career of two fictional serial killers, uh, Mickey and Mallory Knox, played by Woody Harrelson and um, Juliet Lewis. I, I want to say, I'm probably saying the wrong name entirely. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he's uh, Mickey in that is a is a goddamn sociopath who um, murders people because, as he put it, as he puts in the movie, murder is pure. It's the media that makes it, you know, corrupt and you know something different. Yeah, no, like I said, that's what I like about him. He has great comedic timing in things like you know, uh, Zombieland. But when he wants to go full on dark and terrifying, he goes full on dark and terrifying. Well, you brought up the War for the Planet of the Apes character, and that guy I can totally see as like a cousin to Mickey Knox, is my point. Oh, yeah. By the record, when I say the National Run Killers got purged, the, um, the Sandy Hook shooters, I want to say, actually uh, would call each other NBK's National Run Killers. They were inspired partly to do the violence they did because of the movie, which caused the movie to take a lot of criticism which is funny because the movie is actually a giant condemnation of that kind of behavior but that kind of shit happens in art all the time so oh there's a lot i want to talk about there but that's not what this podcast is about so back to woody harrelson no like i said he's one of those ones that he hasn't always done the best movies like i'm not a fan of kingpin going back and watching it it's just way too much gross out humor but he really kind of sympathized him with him as this you know down on his luck shit heel of a guy yeah i mean and he does it really well what you, you totally buy into it what do you think of him and um sorry to interrupt you man but i feel like what do you think of him in true detective i haven't seen that uh you need to because i him know i and, need to him and matthew mcconaughey are really interesting dynamic <laughs> yeah and that's kind of you know the interesting thing is i and you know on a personal level i shouldn't like woody harrelson because he's kind of obnoxious to deal with yeah. in his whole vegan beliefs and how he puts it on the cast and crew of his movies i didn't know that oh yeah that was zombie land was a totally vegan production because mm. of him All but right. that aside he's so funny to watch an interview because he's always baked out of his gourd <laughs> I watched one interview with him and he comes out and he was so high he's just off staring at the stage lights and the interviewer is desperately trying to go and then he gets up like Woody, Woody, Woody are you high? What? <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, his next door neighbor in Hawaii is uh oh, country singer. I don't know. With Willie Nelson? <laughs> Willie Nelson, there it is. I just guessed because you're talking about marijuana and then you said country singer. I was like, who's Gabby Willie Nelson, yeah, right? They're neighbors. So that tells you everything. But again, you take the fact that he is this stoned out of his mind goofball in real life. And then you take it and you juxtapose that with the terrifying neo-Nazi commander. He was in uh, war for the planet of the apes, which let's make no mistakes. That was the imagery they were going for. Oh, definitely. If I mean, you didn't get that, go back and rewatch it or go and watch uh, Schindler's list. <laughs> and watch the concentration camp commander because that's or, the same character you know don't make your soul cry for two hours so 
hey, sometimes, you know, people need to be reminded, Nazis are bad. The Holocaust was a thing. Yeah, I, I really feel like in today's day and age, we need to be reminded of that. So uh, okay. we'll let Nazis come back. But I, I can accept that. We're talking about Woody Harrelson. <laughs> but, um, well, another thing about Woody Harrelson I want to say, why I asked you about his true detective role is because – so in True Detective, he plays a character that – one thing that I've only seen um, – I'm like three episodes out from the end of the first season, so I have no idea. I've heard the if, second season isn't any good. I don't know, but uh, I uh, I kept waiting for True Detective to find a thread that made sense to me. So I'm not a fan of it in general. I just like watching McConaughey and Harrelson work. And what's interesting about Harrelson's character is he is very obviously meant to be a bad person that we can still like not like a lot but just like you know like you know he cheats on his wife he's a bit of an a-hole he kind of threatens mcconaughey a couple times but he's you know he just feels like what might be a real person who's just not that good a person but still like a fine person that makes any sense yeah it does and again that is a testament to his acting is he is great as a small side bit character because he just kind of flows into whatever character you want him to be. But he also is such a great lead. And now there's rumors he will be playing Cletus Cassidy if there is a successful sequel to Venom. We'll see, which, won't we? Yeah. Well, I, it was... I don't think it's going to do well, but I would love to see him play Carnage because I totally think he can do the unhinged serial killer. In fact, we've seen him do an unhinged yeah. serial killer. In Natural Born Killers. If they just take his characterization... In Natural Born Killers, that could totally be Cletus Cassidy. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think he's this really interesting person to watch because movie, good, bad, or otherwise, like, okay, I want to see what he's going to do in this. I mean, 2012 is a terrible movie, mm-hmm. but it's funny because in that one, he's more or less playing his actual self. Crazy screwball guy predicting the end of the world. By the way, I know nothing about Kingpin, but um, Natural Born Killers is the only movie I know of where he's the star. So... Does he not star very often? Not that I can think of. I mean, all the ones I think of, he's a supporting role. He was supporting in the Hunger Games series, which is, I don't want to say it's a black mark on his career, because those are just okay movies. But he, got, he got to be a great side character in No Country for Old Men. Yeah, no, I don't think he really has led a movie. It's Weird. interesting. No, I kind of put him in the same category of... He's not, I don't know if he's a method actor or what his method for getting into character is. But like I said, he's definitely one of those ones. He disappears into the character. And my last little thing I'll say is he's a character actor. Seen, yes, the there's, there's the phrase. If you haven't seen Defendor, you need to. Because he plays a mentally impaired vigilante. And it's kind of this great send up of the comic book genre before the comic book genre really took off. Yeah, I saw Defendor it's not a, a great long movie. time ago. I don't really remember it. But um, we watched it together. A lot of... I remember we watched it, and you instantly decided you needed a World War One trench mace. Oh, oh, hold on! I gotta look up the poster to see if this jogs my memories. Ah, yeah, okay. You remember World... this movie? I I've seen this picture of Woody Harrelson with the the helmet on, and uh, yeah, yeah, I remember this now. I it's mean, I don't really... remember it very well, but I do remember the the fucking big D on his chest, Defendor. Holy shit, did, uh, did this come out before or after Super? Ah, this came before Super. All right, because I'm pretty sure that Super basically did a lot of the same stuff. And I love Super, but yeah, I just didn't think about Defendor. This one's a lot darker, I'd say, than Super. But it's again, it's a really, really? good movie, Super especially... Was, Super was pretty fucking dark. So. You know, this one is even... I'd say this one's darker. What's this? But, yeah. I keep seeing this picture of him holding a jar of... Were those bees? Yes, he's got a jar of bees that, you know, there's this one scene, I don't remember exactly, but he's got, he's beating this guy down in an alley, and, you know, he's like, where's Captain Industry? Cap, what? And he pulls out this jar of bees. Is that a jar of bees? Yeah. What do you know with a jar of bees? This. And he throws it, and he smashes it at the guy's feet, and the guy gets attacked by bees. Oh, holy shit. All you had to do was say Captain Industry, and now it all comes flooding back. Oh, my God. That movie's amazing. Yes. Oh, I can't, I can't, all right. I cannot say this on the podcast because it's super important, but I have to really second 
Ulrich's thing now. If if the idea of deconstruction of superheroes, especially and Woody Harrelson at all, like interests you, then watch this this movie. There's this moment at the end where you find out who Captain Industry is, the villain, and it is really powerful. I'm actually sad that I didn't remember what you were talking until you said that because it was a really great moment. So no. This is one of those awesome movies I've only seen once. I need to own because it has stuck with me so well. And it is a great representation of his acting talent to totally just become this character and have it be entirely different from anything else he's done. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, so my, <laughs> my favorite Woody Harrelson movie is always going to be Natural Born Killers, but it's also that's a movie that I totally understand that other people don't like. Defendor it's is... unpleasant. <laughs> As a side note, it also stars a lot of actors that are really well known for different things. Like Robert Downey Jr. was in it before. Essentially, he lost his mind on drugs. Well, maybe it was during him losing. This might have been during, I think. Yeah. When did anyway, it come out? Anyway. Um, early '90s, I want to say. That um, might have been right before his downfall. Well, because I think it was one of the last movies before he basically fell out of movies. It came out in 1994. Yeah, that was right before he went crazy. I think. Yeah, but it's got like you know Tommy Lee Jones in it, and it is a big star-studded cast. It's just a very unpleasant movie. Rodney Dangerfield as a um, molester. <laughs> oh God, yeah. It's anyway, I know movie. I keep coming back to it. It's just that um, I feel like it's—I I really like it as a movie, and it's a really interesting, unique experience. That I think it's overlooked, but Defendor I think fits that even better. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, if you got to watch, if you take one movie from Woody Harrelson away from our conversation, Defendor, and for JGL. Yes. Brick. So that's what we're gonna do. We'll recommend at least one movie that we, the actors in, that we think you all should watch. So it's a good idea. All right. So what's who's your next big actor? My favorite actor working today. Period. Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. Now remind me which one he is, because he kind of blends together in my brain with all See? of the other upcoming brunette actors. <laughs> uh, for me, the thing about Jake Gyllenhaal that's also great is that more than any other actor. I've seen, period, he disappears. I watch a movie, I don't see Jake Gyllenhaal. I see whoever, you know, the, who he's supposed to be. And I, I didn't realize this until Nightcrawler, which was my okay. favorite movie of that year. <laughs> I did not like that movie, but I know why. I, but now I know who you're talking about. Why didn't you like that, if I might ask? It's, again, it's an unpleasant movie where I didn't like anybody in it i didn't enjoy watching like you're all fucking terrible people and i get the message you're trying to put across but it doesn't matter i'm just pissed that i wasted my time watching this you know okay that's fine for me it's not a waste of time for me it was like for a movie to like i said i watched nightcrawler uh i don't think i watched it in theaters i watched it i might have watched it in theaters i, I watched remember, it on but, netflix but i remember, I remember that i don't remember the last time i was as glued to the screen ever like Nightcrawler is just fucking fascinating to anyone out there who hasn't seen it because, you know, it's named after an X-Men character. It has nothing to do with that. Um, Nightcrawler is this movie about, so Jake Gyllenhaal portrays this guy. And first of all, something is wrong with this guy. You can tell from the way. I thought yeah, the idea. Yeah, but it's, it's more than just that. See, he like, blends together. I had to look him up to figure out who he was to pull him out right he blends together with Jared Leto in my brain. Uh, I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal is the good version of what Jared Leto is I agree. I'm just saying appearance-wise, they blend together and become one and amorphous, you know, handsome, brown-haired man. Okay, sure. Anyway, so the point is, Nightcrawler, uh, Jake plays this character that is, something is wrong with him. He's obviously a sociopath, but the way you can tell, like, I don't know who said this, uh, whether it was Movie Bob or Chris Stuckman or Jeremy Johns. I think Jeremy Johns might have said this. But when this character talks to people, you really get the feeling that he learned how to talk to people by reading how to do it like out of a book, like not experience. Like everything he says is very precise in a really creepy way. <laughs> like the opening scene of the movie is him trying to get a job from this guy who just like well actually the opening scene is him stealing some fence to sell the steel and he does something to a cop that finds him we don't see what he did to him but when he takes the steel to sell it he then tries to basically sell himself to get a job with a steel guy and he does it by 
spouting all these like these um, buzzwords at, about himself, and it's it just feels like a script in the most stilted way. But it's not like the actor stilted; it's this character. Like something is wrong yeah, with this no, person deeply. He feels like a sociopath. He doesn't know how to interact with people. He's acting with people as he, you know, thinks people interact. No, I just exactly. did some double checking. I have got him cast as uh, Conrad Kurz in my 40k casting fan cast. I know who Conrad Kurz is. I'll talk about that uh, in just a second. Imagine oh. bipolar, ultraviolent Batman. Okay. Well, one sec. Let me finish up because, I, like I said, I really love Nightcrawler. So um, what happens is he, this guy is trying to find something he's good at, essentially, something he can do. And he discovers, essentially by accident, that there is an occupation called being a Nightcrawler, which is people who take like cameras they find accidents crimes stuff that happens at night they get footage of it like as soon as possible and then sell it to a news station so those news stations can use the footage in their news stories so that's why they're called night crawlers and this guy is really good at it and we see him getting better at it figuring out how to how to do it in better and more uh, interesting ways. He starts using his leverage to like, you know, needle people. And then he starts blending the line between an observer and a cause. So it, yeah, I, I, I should like this movie. I just, I just, I, and I can't honestly remember now, but I just remember really being well, angry at the end of it. Well, here's the thing. The movie is trying and is really successful to make you the audience uncomfortable all the time to me that's the strength of the movie but it's kind of like i don't like horror movies because i don't enjoy the feeling of being scared so i get that if a movie a horror movie is successful at making me scared then it's good at what it does i still don't like it so similar thing here this movie is trying to make you uncomfortable and if you don't like that feeling that doesn't mean that the movie failed the movie is bad it just means it's not for you yeah no i said this one has a great you know, commentary on the news media in America. And uh, he does a great job in it. But like I said, I just, I, I think it is, I hate him so much. I don't want him to succeed at the end. And that's a testament to him as an actor. He became this incredibly unlikable, disgusting, deplorable person that you just wanted to suffer. And he ends up being successful. Yeah, exactly. Now, a different movie that also is a great testament to Jake Gyllenhaal's like skill and why he's my favorite actor working today is Prisoners. Did you see that one? No, that was one I, you know, like, oh, I need to watch this one. Everyone's talking about this one. I never got a chance to. So Prisoners, uh, first of all, this was, who was the director? I know he was someone who made some other great stuff. Um, was it the uh, guy who made okay, Rival? Dennis, Dennis Villeneuve. Go ahead and talk. Uh, Dennis, oh, there he goes. The guy who made Sicario. Yeah, the weird French guy that did Arrival, which was awesome. Yeah, uh, and Blade Runner 2049, stuff like that. So the guy's He's got... Also pretty. Yeah. The, um, are we sure he did Arrival? I'm not sure about that. Anyway, but the point is... Yes, he did Arrival. I know he, but I'm going to double check. You go ahead. All right. So Prisoners is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman in one of Hugh Jackman's best roles, by the way. Um, the plot is that Hugh Jackman's daughter gets kidnapped. We don't know. We as the audience don't see who did it or anything like that. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the cop or detective assigned to try and find her. And similar to his characterization in Nightcrawler, this cop, again, Jake Gyllenhaal disappears and this cop is there. Um, you can tell this cop is very much into his job in a way that he understands that the best way to do his job is not to be attached, right? So he's the... Uh, unattached like law that's knows that's the best way to get the job done meanwhile hugh jackman's character is nothing but emotion because he lost his daughter so he's doing everything he can to get his daughter back and the the problem is that they're the first like suspect is this i don't know what the um least offensive term for this is but it's a mentally handicapped or challenged person uh, yeah and he's convinced that he did it and yeah, Hugh Jackman's character is convinced that he did it. To say. Yeah, well, um, the pro the thing is then, while Gyllenhaal's character basically exonerates this guy, um, Hugh Jackman doesn't doesn't believe it. 
Well, he doesn't exonerate. I think there was a problem with the arrest. It's been a while since I remember. But the point is, they have to let him go, and Hugh Jackman's yeah. super pissed about it. So he get him and his friend kidnap the guy and torture him to try to get information out of him while Gyllenhaal's tracking down who you know other clues and stuff. And both Jackman and Gyllenhaal are great in the movie for different reasons. Uh, it's kind of intense. There's this scene where like Jackman is threatening the guy with a hammer. He doesn't actually hit him, but it's still pretty hardcore. Anyway. Uh, it's another one of those examples of like Gyllenhaal's performance in it is super. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transcendent. Like he's, it's beyond acting. It's just being. <laughs> to translate that into non douchey terms, he did a such a good job. You forgot that he was playing a character, and you're watching a movie. Yeah. You felt Sorry, like that's so douchey. This is just me. Um, what's the well, word? Well, I was listening. You're gonna get grilled for phrasing like that. That's very unclear. But okay. I did look it up. The director is uh, Denise Villeneuve. Also, god damn it, internet. Do you know what the first thing that popped up when I typed in who directed? What? The Shining. You know what the second one was? Jurassic right. Park. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Kubrick who directed Spielberg, The Shining two of Jurassic the most Park? famous directors who ever lived. Okay. Um, oh, god damn. Anyway. Uh, a handful of other movies that Gyllenhaal did that are varying degrees of good, but he's always like, okay, one of his most famous roles is Brokeback Mountain. I'm not actually a big fan of Brokeback Mountain, but he is one of the lead roles in that, and that movie, you know, a shitload of awards, so I put that yeah, That was a very controversial movie where I grew up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was also the Bubble Boy. I remember that growing up. Oh, he's the Bubble Boy? He's the Bubble Boy. You should have loved with that. That movie, I watched that, oh God, forever ago. But I'd watched it forever ago before that, and I'm like, oh, wow, this movie's still funny and still holds up. You want I think I watch it once a decade. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a fun movie. And on a, I'll, I'll even say this. Um, the much maligned uh, Prince of Persia movie, because of course it's a video game adaptation, and I like Jake Gyllenhaal in that too. Like, I thought he was a great pick for the prince. I saw that movie in theaters, and I don't remember anything about it, but I remember walking and going, yeah, it wasn't half bad. See, you know what I remember? I remember that... Source material. I remember that Ben Kingsley was awesome, because Kingsley is usually awesome. I remember that I really liked Jake Gyllenhaal's portrayal of the prince, because basically he used the personification of the prince from the first game, which is the one I like most. And I remember that the sand effects only happened like three times, but they looked awesome when it happened. That's mostly I remember for the movie. So, I don't even remember that much. I just remember walking out going, that wasn't half bad. I also remember, and uh, I'm going to touch on some very dangerous territory here. Oh, so, no. yeah, it's, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not like taking like a stand. Like if someone believes, uh, okay, a lot of people got mad at that movie for whitewashing, like for casting Jake Gyllenhaal as the Prince of Persia. And you know what? If you believe that, that's fine. I'm willing to have that like discussion with someone. But really from what I can tell, Jake Gyllenhaal is, you know, half Jewish, which is technically like Israel and Persia and encompassed an area of land that is basically more than just the Middle East, including what is now Israel. So if you're going to get mad at whitewashing in that movie, there are other targets like how, you know, Ben Kingsley isn't Persian. So just saying, like, you want to get mad at that movie for that thing? That's fine. But Jake Gyllenhaal isn't the target. Hey, you should be ben using. Kingsley played Gandhi, and I think that's bought him a pass. Yeah. No, that was but my only. That I'm was not my only argument. Step on this landmine. Yeah. That was my only argument. There is like, you want to get mad at the movie for doing that? That's fine. I've actually had that discussion. I'm just saying that there are other characters in that movie to point to. Jake Gyllenhaal is actually one of the most quote unquote accurate castings in that regard. So, <laughs> all right, let's move on because. Uh... Well, all right. The movie <laughs> I'm going to suggest for Jake Gyllenhaal is Nightcrawler. If you haven't seen Nightcrawler then see it. One of the two things will happen. Either you'll be like me and you'll love it because of how uncomfortable it made you, or you'll be like Ulrich and you will be really not enjoying how uncomfortable it makes you. So either way, it's going to make you uncomfortable. If that idea doesn't interest you, then you should probably stay away. But if you can... Great concept. It's just... But if you can appreciate like how effective a movie is at manipulating how you feel and how effective an actor is at manipulating how you feel, then Nightcrawl is a great movie for that. Sorry if I I uh, gushed on that a lot with douchey language. I understand that be, you know it's vague language, but I'm just I like I said I'm I'm gushing. I I love that movie. I love Gyllenhaal. So, all right. Well, I'm going to talk about an actor that I'm sure I'm going to get shit for. People going, 
that's he's not an actor and i'll say go fuck yourself uh robin williams anyone who says robin williams isn't an actor obviously hasn't seen goodwill hunting i was gonna say hasn't seen one hour photo also true yeah no and you know i've kind of realized i've gotten older how much my film taste is affected by my parents who neither which my, my dad's more of a film buff but not so much my mom especially not but my mom loved robin williams i inherited my love of robin williams through my mom because she was like oh robin williams is in this i'll give it a watch because you knew robin williams was going to bring it that energy that 110 percent well and you were going to enjoy his you know robin uh, williams is this is this interesting thing is i feel like there are few people in history that are truly and utterly one of a kind. Now, if we're going to get down to semantics, everyone is truly one of a kind. But you know what I fucking mean. Oh, like, yeah. There's. You will never have another Robin Williams. There's no replacement for Robin Williams. It's there heartbreaking, been... and it's what makes his death sad to this day. I, so I'm a, I can't call myself a stand-up comedian because I haven't done it in years now. And I only did it you know, a handful of times when I did. So I'm not going to say I'm a stand-up comedian. But I'm an aficionado. Of stand-up comedy like it's my favorite form of passive entertainment and ron williams is a goddamn titan in stand-up comedy and that's not even counting like his you know his movie his filmography i'm just saying that like i i am a fan of the entirety of his career <laughs> so yeah no i for better or worse i have, think i have gone through if i saw ron williams in it i watched it and that led to me watching a lot of bad movies well yeah. i saw oh god I watched Adams. World's Greatest Dad. That too. That's a terrible movie. And I saw Robin Williams' junk. And I didn't want to see Robin Williams' junk. But that is an image I can no longer get. But I watched it because, like, Robin Williams, my brain went, ooh, Robin Williams. He'll be entertaining even if the rest of this movie is hot garbage. And that's what I'm talking about. Is, again, I think for an entire generation, especially us 90s kids, Robin Williams was in everything. And we watched it. And we enjoyed it. Then, even if we're, like, coming back years later, like, the toy... Not the toy. What was that one he had the toy factory in? Uh, oh, not Toy Man. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not a good movie, but we enjoyed it as kids because hot damn Robin Williams is in it. Hook, yeah. which I will defend. I'll defend Hook. It's not, not a good movie, but it's an amazing but I will watch. It. <laughs> and again, I think we all loved it as kids because Robin Williams is in it, and he brought this electricity to every role he did. Well, I got I got a side... I got a side note you here real quick. I know we're talking about Robin Williams, but you've got to give Dustin Hoffman praise and Hook because. Oh, yeah. God damn, man. <laughs> no, I like Hook. I can't defend it. It's. I, I can, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I even watched Dead Poet Society, which I don't think is a good movie. I'll disagree but... with you. I, I like it. I, I, think that the, I think that the message is really first okay. world problems, yeah, which is. Maybe the, maybe the message is what for me yeah but the movie is good toned down performance but i guess i watched bicentennial man because robin williams was in it and that's yeah. what i love about rob love about robin williams every role he was in whether mrs. it was a doubtfire. big budget oh mrs doubtfire that is an awesome movie whether it was a big budget film or a small budget film he committed to it 110 percent jumanji is a classic i mean we can sit here and just keep naming off great robin williams film i also bet we could name an equal amount of terrible robin williams films and of course and of course i feel like uh no discussion of robin williams is complete without aladdin obviously yeah and that was what i was gonna say if you're gonna watch a robin williams go watch aladdin because that was my introduction to him as the genie you know what the problem is though but the, the previous three actors we described, in each case, we could list a movie that feels like under underplayed. I don't think there is such a thing as that for Robin Williams. Is there an underplayed Robin Williams movie, though? That's what I'm saying. I don't think there is one. I like, mean, maybe I mean, one-hour photo. If I was going to recommend a Robin Williams movie, I'd have to recommend we get the crazy and the serious in Jumanji. Plus, it's just a, a killer movie. But fucking everyone knows Jumanji, so what's the point yeah. of even recommending it? Like I said, I would say One Hour Photo is probably the only example I can say of an underseen Robin Williams movie, and he is terrifying in that. And I love, like, the best part I found out behind the scenes, they had to take cuts and just let him be as wild and goofy as he wanted between the cuts, yeah. just so he could come back to that cold, sterile, you know, 
role he was playing. Can can I tell two little stories about Ron Williams? Go right ahead, man. <laughs> so the first one, and this is actually pretty well known at this point, so I don't know, but um, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Aladdin, I believe, it could have been another movie, was being shot at the same time as uh, Schindler's List, which we mentioned earlier. Now, Schindler's List is uh, a movie of soul-crushing depression. So Spielberg, who was uh, directing Schindler's List, I believe it was Spielberg anyway. I'm, I'm not a fan of Spielberg film. Anyway, um, in between takes, to keep the crew from you know killing themselves, he would call up Robin Williams on the phone and then put him on speaker and just have Robin Williams improv to make everyone laugh to keep their spirits. I've heard up. this story too. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard this story. I, I hope it's true. I totally buy it. So <laughs> uh now the other the other thing I want to say, and this is to me this is fascinating. So as an uh, as a lover of stand up comedy, there are a few things in stand up comedy that are hated more than uh, stealing jokes and taking credit for them. That's why Carlos Mencia doesn't exist anymore. He was <laughs> well, that and other reasons. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, he was a major joke thief, and it's, it was, that's, like, unforgivable. George um, Lopez beat his ass. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then there, you know, Dane Cook is kind of a thief. I feel like that actually. I mean, mostly he was accused of stealing from Louis C.K., but if you listen to the jokes together or next to each other, I don't think that... Anyway, point is, <laughs> joke thievery is a really bad thing, now, except in the case of Robin Williams. See, Robin Williams was the king of improv stand-up. Like, there was really no one who did it like him because he was this stream of consciousness. So, and he tried to explain in a couple interviews that, yeah, he just basically lets his brain go. And, you know, people were upset at first because what would happen is, you know, he'd go and he'd see other comics and then their jokes would just be in his brain. And so then when he would start going on stage, they would just show up. He didn't do anything intentionally. His brain just picks up on things he heard. But then because that's how his comedy worked and because he had this particular status in the comedy world, what ended up happening is that it didn't actually detract from the comedians whose jokes he took, it would actually make like surge interest in them, like an Oprah Winfrey effect, but with Robin Williams. <laughs> so, so it became like a almost like a mark of um, I don't know success if Robin Williams took one of your jokes, like if he basically if his subconscious found your joke worthy enough to just mix into his stream of consciousness. Yeah, no, my uh, my dad actually went to high school with Robin Williams. And he said that everyone in the class hated him because he couldn't stand still and he would get everyone in trouble for it. <laughs> like he was always cracking jokes or making weird voices like, shut the fuck up, Robin, you're going to get us in trouble. And he just, he couldn't stand still. And it was always this weird thing for my dad to go, I knew that guy when he was an annoying little shit in school. And now he's, you know, this multi-million dollar, you know, he, comedian, actor. He leveraged that personality to a successful career. That's just good business sense. Yeah, and I mean, I quote it all the time, but I'm not going to mangle it here. Go listen to his speech when he talks about the spark of insanity that everyone yeah. is given. That, again, I think may be, in my opinion, his greatest lasting legacy to the world was his whole thoughts and his speech on that. And I, you know, wholeheartedly believe it. I this guy was awesome. I mean, yeah, unlike I, the other actors we've talked about that kind of disappeared in the roles, this wasn't so much the case with Robin Williams as he exploded out of the roles with his personality. With the exception of Goodwill Hunting, where he illustrated for everyone that he can do like an Oscar award winning drama performance when he wants. Oh yeah. Like I said, he you said it best. We're never going to have another Robin Williams, and that's heartbreaking. Yeah, I I feel like as we said, there's not really a suggestion for a movie. If I was going to suggest anything, I would just suggest way because it's like him distilled in his purest form. But that's a comedy special, not really a movie. So yeah, no, I like Aladdin. Uh, I have nostalgia attached to it. The I think best part suggestion is going to work best because I actually have never seen one hour photo. So oh, it's it's creepy. It, it, it's right, how about this? We suggest both one hour photo and Robin Williams live on Broadway. One is him. Yeah, to be you're creepy. gonna want one to juxtapose the other. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. So those are our suggestions of actors and movies we think you should see. Uh, let's just barrel right into our suggestions of the week. All right, because um, work is kicking my ass right now. Uh, I haven't had time to really 
imbibe anything new. So right now, I come home from work, and when I do have some time, I play usually a couple matches of For Honor to get like my daily steal, which is the in-game currency. And then I um I play some Street Fighter to try to like sharpen my skills because I'm not good enough to play competitively yet, but I'll get there. And then you might be too old, man. You're over the age of twelve. Your reflexes have dulled. Tell that to Red Gambit, who's one of my favorite professional uh, Street Fighter players. He's older than I am. So anyway, also. And I'll tell you about that later. Point is, <laughs> um, after I play some Street Fighter, then I've been playing uh, Diablo 2. Now, this is what I want to suggest for the week for a, sim- for a simple reason. Diablo 3 exists and has existed for a long time. And I know a lot of people who actually played Diablo 3 that never played the previous Diablo games because it's That's like. Me. Yeah, it's like a whole generation back, essentially. And as someone who picked up Diablo 2 when I was. 11 years old on an old like Windows 98 machine. Uh, I can tell you that that game holds up like insanely. And I, I think that it's actually still better than Diablo 3. Like Diablo 3 okay. fixed a lot of its problems with Reaper of Souls, but, uh, but Diablo 2 is just, I think, a, a tighter, better constructed game. I'm still waiting on the remastered edition that, you know, come on, Blizzard, where the hell is that? You sold the battle chest of Diablo 2. Up until 2015, in stores. Yep, and it was still the same price for like 20 years. Yeah, so uh, why don't you get on that remastered edition? Yeah, that's my point. I've been playing as the the Necromancer and the Amazon, and what I think is funny is the Necromancer is the perfect kind of reason why I like Diablo 2 more than Diablo 3, because the Necromancer exists in Diablo 3, but in Diablo 3, it just feels like like a wizard who is bone themed whereas in Diablo 2 if you feel like a proper necromancer an overlord commanding the armies of the dead and you know that's that kind of stuff is hard to put into quantitative words one of my favorite stories i remember about Diablo 2 is we were standing in line to see the GI Joe movie i don't know why there was a line for GI Joe cuz that was not a good movie and we're killing time, and you start telling me about the lore of Diablo. Mm. And this guy walks by, and he gives you the weirdest look I think anyone has ever given another person. Ah, I don't remember this. I remember this because we are in line for like 15 minutes, and we got in like, oh, don't worry. I, you know, that's, that's only the beginning of the story. There's so much more to talk about. Huh. Well, I mean, I true. Just, uh, Blizzard games generally have extremely dense lore, and Diablo yes. is no exception. And Diablo yeah, 2 right now is... Before Diablo 3. This was two games, and you had like an hour and a half of lore. Yeah. And uh, Diablo 2 right now is available on like Battle.net for like 10 bucks or something like that. So if uh, your computer... Well, anyone's computer should be able to play it, actually, because it's a you know like 20-year-old game. But yeah. if, if you have played Diablo 3 um, and you haven't played Diablo 2, give it a shot. I will warn you, it's a completely different paced game. Like, a good way to put that is in Diablo 3, the difference between level 1 and level 10 is the difference between doing, like, 10 damage and, like, 1,000 damage. Whereas the difference between level 1 and 10 in Diablo 2 is, like, the difference between doing 10 damage and 25 damage. The scaling is very different. The game's more about survival than, like, killing things really fast, which is what Diablo 3's focus in. So be ready for that shift. But it's just like I said, it's a really solid game. It basically invented the skill tree system, which is in like all video games now. So come on, it's a Blizzard game. Go and yeah. play it. There's my suggestion. All right, I got a couple, and the first really ties in with what we've been talking about, and it's a show on IFC called Stand Against Evil, also and known as uh, Not Ash versus Evil Dead. Yes, it's got very similar. It's very similar, but uh, I saw this on Hulu, and I started watching it just because John C. McGinley was in it. McGinley, I couldn't think of his last name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, that is Dr. Cox from Scrubs. He will and always be Dr. Cox from Scrubs. Even though he's got a great indie career in small films here and there, but uh, yeah. he's essentially playing Dr. Cox, but if he had to fight demons and monsters in retirement. Well, I mean, the best way to put it is it's Dr. Cox, but also Ash. Yeah, there's a little bit of Ash. Basically, the story is he was a sheriff. His wife died. He beat up an old lady at her funeral. 
and he found out his wife was a witch and the sheriff's office is cursed because way back in the 1600s someone burned a bunch of witches and there's been a curse on the sheriff ever since that you know these supernatural forces come and kill them and now it's up to him and the new sheriff to basically fight these evil forces it's hilarious it's a lot like ash versus evil dead um but less bruce campbelly more john c mcginley which considering that as far as i'm concerned ash versus evil dead is carried entirely by bruce campbell's performance and i like john c mcginley's like persona it's it's just carried by a different kind of performance so yeah, yeah. I totally buy that They're, it's the same show but the the feel is different my only real complaint i have two complaints is one the episodes are only 20 minutes long and there's only 13 episodes per season mm. Which that's, means you can burn through this in a day, and it's. I was gonna sad. say though, 20, 20 episode or thirteen episodes of twenty minutes—that seems like perfectly reasonable amount of content. But how you want? I always end up wanting more after I've you know watched it because I watch it on Hulu, and I recently reactivated my Hulu after you know closing it for the summer slump, and I'm like, all right, season two, let's watch this, and you know all of a sudden I'm like, wait, episode thirteen? Oh no, it happened again, and it's a cliffhanger. Well, in all fairness. In all fairness, I'm a Steven Universe and Berserk fan, so I'm used to waiting like four months and then getting 50 minutes of material and then having to wait again. So I guess, like I said, this is a really funny show. Um, it kind of feels like when you don't have Ash versus Evil Dead, season three is now on DVD. I plan to pick that up here soon. Um, it's a great show. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is also is on Netflix and Disenchanted. Okay, I, I, I gotta say up front before you say anything. Um, I feel like suggesting Disenchanted is uh, the epitome, is, is you standing in front of a Vatican choir and trying to preach the Bible to them, man. Like, anyone who's going to watch Disenchantment has been aware of it since its, like, first appearance and has already, like, watched the whole thing. You can talk about it, but I'm just warning you. Well, see, that's what I kind of worried about because, you know, I liked it, but I'm already seeing, like, Movie Bob did not give it favorable reviews. I keep hearing little snippets here and there. Oh, that wasn't that good. Or it wasn't Futurama. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I watched it this weekend. And no, it's not Futurama, but nothing's going to be Futurama. And this was only the first 10 episodes. It's, I'll roll it back. I'm not going to say what it's about because you've already heard about it if you follow Matt Grading, Futurama, Simpsons, any of that stuff. Well, I guess the idea is if there is somehow anybody listening to this who hasn't seen it but is also a fan of The Simpsons and or Futurama, I don't know how that person would exist. But yeah. if that person exists, then Disenchantment is basically the same kind of show but a send-up of old of fantasy, of like yeah. you know high fantasy. It's got the same background. Like some of the background jokes are the best thing of this show – um, it definitely suffers from growing pains and not quite having itself figured out. But again, this is only the first 10 episodes. And that's where I kind of disagree with Movie Bob. He came down really harsh on it for only having 10 episodes in. You go watch the first 10 episodes of Futurama or God forbid the first 10 episodes of The Simpsons. They're not there yet. I don't know. Episode two of Futurama where they go to the moon is fucking hilarious. Okay, that's true. That, that, was, that was solid. It's got the same, a lot of the same voice actors from you know Futurama and The Simpsons. Um, there are parts that don't work. I still thought it was really funny. And again, 10 episodes, like 20 minutes each. You can burn through it in a weekend. That's what I did. Um, I'm excited for part two. I've got so many shows to watch right now that Disenchantment uh, isn't even on my radar. But if if a couple more seasons come out and I start hearing like... Here's the thing. I never sat down to watch Futurama. I like Futurama and all the Futurama I've seen, but I never sought it out. All my friends are super into it, so... Whenever we had everyone hanging out and no one knew what to do, we would just turn on Netflix and throw on some episodes of Futurama. So I've seen the entire right, thing. Background viewing. Yeah, I've seen all the movies like a bunch of times, but I was never like super into it. So because of that, I just don't have the same thing's gonna happen with Disenchantment. If it ends up being good, I'm gonna end up seeing it because probably all my similar friends are gonna, you know, put it on in front of me, but I don't plan to seek it out. So. It's definitely worth a watch, but there is so much TV on right now, and there's so little time to watch it all. I still haven't finished Westworld. I feel like I can't do anything else. I got burned out halfway through season two, and I realized I don't care about any of these people. I haven't even finished season one, though. 
I finished season one. Season one was really good. Then I got to season two and I got halfway through and I realized I don't care. There is so much more for me to watch. I'm not doing this. Next. Uh, maybe if I get there. And I started, I watched the first like two episodes or, or two or three episodes of Luke Cage season two and I oh. love it. And I just yeah. haven't got around to watching any more yet. Well, you're about to fall behind because Daredevil and Iron Fist are about to drop, both drop before the end of the year. Damn. Well, it, see, Luke Cage, me and my lady, you know, we're watching that together, but she's right now obsessed with um, the Vampire Diaries. So, and when yeah. she gets obsessed with the show, she, like, just wants to watch that. So yep. I gotta wait until she's ready to watch something else. <laughs> yep, that's more or less how it goes. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future podcast. Um, once again, we'd like to thank our Patreon, our patron, Pam Galley, for her ongoing support of the show. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And Shield Brother, Axel Ray. But I gotta interrupt again because this is gonna become a regular thing. Uh, it's shameless Shill. I, I hate myself. I'm a human garbage, but please, you know, share this if you like it because it helps us. I was just recently watching, like, Game Grumps, and they started, like, mocking that, like, that whole, like, doing the voices, like, oh, please share, subscribe, because it's what it is, it's a shill, but at the same time, it works. Like, we pay attention to some people who try to teach you, like, how to podcast, and they're like, yeah, we know, you're gonna feel gross doing it, but do it. I have to put all that preface out there to say, yeah, if you enjoy this, please share it for us. But also know, I understand how that sounds, and I hate myself, so... I'll say this much, okay? You got over a million subscribers, fuck off, okay? You don't get to mock those of us down here on the bottom trying to get subscribers. (laughs) (laughs) So, as always, be sure to tune in next time and stay on rope.